January 29, 2021, it's Watch for Pedro Show.
Pedro Show, happy Friday, last Friday of January, and uh, yeah, some rain, and maybe some more, but we kind of need, and February's usually the rain, so it ain't that bad. Uh, started off with John Coltrane with uh, Don Cherry, trippy record called The Avant Guard, like no John Coltrane songs, Three Ornettes, a Don Cherry song, and uh, what we played today, uh, Bemshaw Swing, which is a Thelonious Monk, and then we heard, uh, and I think it's got Percy Heath on, but I think Charlie Hayden plays on it. Two of it, but I think this is Pete Percy and Blackwell drum. Uh, then we had Tim Byrne, Chicken Salad Blues. And uh, <laughs> you can tell people I'm not man alone. I mean, yeah, Brother Matt said the love grotto on Pleasure Point a couple miles south because we're still in quick quarantine mode. But because of those software engineers in Estonia with the Ratchet Skype invention, I got Mr. Tim Byrne. Hey, on the line. Hey, hey. Yeah, I'm welcome here. aboard, Tim. And where are you talking to me from? Uh, I'm in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, okay. Yep, I'm in Go Goanus, or some people call it Go Anus. Right, they, uh, the, they just cleaned up the canal and just dumped it offshore, right? Yep, exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> in my backyard, as we speak. You know, they did that here. Uh, Monsanto was dumping DDT for you, so they made him stop shit. <laughs> You know, <laughs> miraculously, all the pelicans came back and all. This is right when I came here from Virginia, wow. late 60s. And it, what happened was, we're going to clean it up. But what it was, was uh, the earth had put like a big scab over it. So by cleaning up, they just stirred it all up. So he said, said fuck it, leave it. <laughs> and the kelp came back, all kinds of shit. It's am amazing how she tries oh. to help heal herself. But, uh, yeah, uh, I want to talk about your journey in music. Okay. Tim, what's your earliest musical recollection, please? First concert, James Brown, wow. 1967. Um, I was 12, 13. 
my brother, I think, was supposed to sort of babysit me, and he said, fuck that, I'm going to this James Brown thing. So he took me, and I remember sitting on his shoulders at the War Memorial in Syracuse, where I grew up. And Orangeman. I think Lou Reed went to college here. It's possible, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that, I remember that. And I, the part I really remember, strangely, is he used to do this little shtick with his manager or his somebody with the cape. I think it was Bobby Bird. Exactly. And so the band would be playing, and then Jimmy James would come out, and they'd do this routine with the cape. And I, for some reason, I remember that. And then, uh, you know, my brothers both had extremely good taste in music, fortunately. And so I kind of learned, you know, whatever I got into was through them, you know, through their, you know, one of my brothers was totally into soul music. And then the other one was in, you know, he was the first one to have Hendrix. And then he, then he had, uh, then he got into jazz and he had Don Cherry records. And I used to just kind of eavesdrop. And then when they moved on, I'd steal their records, you know. (laughs) Appropriate. You know what, what Jimmy said about Mitch Mitchell? Yeah. He's my Elvin Jones. That's funny. That's great. <laughs> I never got you to know, see him. You know the cat who really, we got to give credit to Mr. Ginger. I know he was a fucking dick in a lot of ways, but he's the guy who kind of brought jazz, because England rock and roll was like really chasing the blues hard. And yeah, Ginger yeah, yeah. said, let's bring in some jazz. Yeah. And so Mitch Mitchell, I, when I hear Mitch Mitchell playing with Jimmy, it's like, I'm going to show you everything I know in this one song. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when you saw Jim Brown, you were only 12, but was Clyde? Who? Man, I, I'm i sure it was the set, but I have no idea. Okay. Because <clears throat> some of them tours, he had three guys on trap. I know. I think might, that might have been the two drummer phase. It was Clyde and who's the other? Jabbo. Um, right. Jabbo. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. No, I don't remember. But Yeah, they had and they, yeah. he had him playing. Because, you know, Jim Brown was a drummer. So yeah, he yeah. knew what he wanted. And he, what he would do was, you know, make not part it out like Dad or uh, Almond Brothers. He had those, them playing the same parts per year. So you had I to know. be socked tight or flam like cool. a motherfucker. Yeah. So I was lucky, man. I had... I had uh, I don't think I ever liked bad music. There was I never had a phase. Maybe a little bit. Uh, I went psychedelic in the early 70s, but I quickly recovered. <laughs> what about the pad you grew up there in Syracuse? You know Syracuse is the, the Greek word for Sicily, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. okay. You're the only dude I know that has. <laughs> right. Fuck yeah. But, um, you know, I was locked, man. All my friends, it was weird. There was a really good live music scene in Syracuse, late 60s, early 70s. I think there was somebody hip at the university. I mean, I remember seeing the first, one of the first weather report gigs ever in a bar. I remember seeing that Herbie Hancock, Mondesi, tons of blues. I must have seen Taj Mahal like 20 times. (laughs) You know, and and James Cotton. It was really, there was tons of shit happening. Farrell used to play there, Farrell Sanders. Right, right. From, so uh, I lucked out. You know, even though I wasn't a musician then, I, I think it was it was definitely uh, stirring me up, getting me ready. Well, you got older brothers, but can I ask you about the pad you grew up with? Is there instruments? Nothing, man. It couldn't have been a less musical family. 
I'm serious, man. All five of us. No, I believe. Like, I believe. What What about school? Were you in the marching band or the choir or shit like that? Well, I didn't. I didn't start playing until I was 20. It's all right. So it's like 1974, and my, I would say very little marching in my past. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I just had a fair cause... amount of acid, and then maybe a touch of. Um, I, I don't know. I just picked up saxophone, kind of a fluke. You know, I was a big, I used to go to concerts in Syracuse. I used to, or in uh, New York, I used to drive from Syracuse. I had this friend who didn't basically didn't speak, but he was, he kind of kept me awake. So I, I would drive down to New York. We'd go to the slugs or the Vanguard. We'd go to the, we, I figured out a way to, we'd get about an hour outside of New York and we'd stop at this little rest area, take acid, and then I figured out that I had an hour to get there and park before I started tripping. <laughs> so I worked it out so I could be sitting at the front table, and I'd make it through all of that, and then the show, you know, then I'd start taking off. And then we'd stay for three sets, and then we'd drive back to Syracuse. Fucking hell, right? So, so it was insane, man. I, I saw so much good shit back in those days. And then I got so I got so wound up. I think there was an opportunity to play saxophone. Some guy was selling one, and I bought it because I realized that I was so into it. I had to pl at least try to play and see if it, I could do it, you know. And so that's how it started, kind of. Now alto, tenor, soprano, alto, alto. Okay. And it was just coincidental, you know. This guy was selling an alto, and and then I kind of just played with record. I just kind of hit out and tried to see if I could do it. And, and then, uh, that was, I was actually in Oregon. Then I was in college in Oregon for a year. And then when I realized I might stick with it, I moved, I came to New York and, uh, then I hooked up with Julius and, you know, started taking it seriously. Yeah. And, uh, I want to play here. Mutant of Alburn excerpt. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
schreeuw, dus ik ben. Massaal normaal. Ik word gezien, dus ik ben. Massaal normaal. Erbij horen en niet meer meedoen. Massaal normaal. boven een vluchteling. Massaal normaal. De vader van de dag. Massaal normaal. Wees in zalendaags ongewoon. Zo gek ben je nog niet.
lot for Pedro show. Yeah, Tim Byrne with the Mutant of Albaran excerpt. <laughs> That's a title. And then mo- model home after that from DC. Brand new album to be great band. Amulet's brand new. Heaviest weight. Uh, Aladag's Onaguan. Onaguan. Yeah, my Dutch is fucked up. Sorry, uh, uh, destroying your language, people. <laughs> half of it's got to be in the throat. Uh, at least half, right? Masal, Nochmal, whatever. And the band is Juan Van the Dog. <laughs> okay, but that, uh, it's, yeah, the music's good. And uh, sorry for butchering the language. Hans Rotten out of Switzerland with We Can Make This. Uh, Pillock. Cetator from Bombus Prandon, Gareth Sager, Miniature 13, finally, Ground Floor, Tim Byrne, Bill Frizzell. Petra Hayden's been, uh, been touring him, well, was, but made some records and playing some gigs. Charlie Hayden's daughter. And, With uh, Bill, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nels, too, has played Bill and stuff and Incredible guitar man. So, yeah. so your meeting with Julius, that was, that was a big fucking musical moment in your life, right? Oh, totally. I was called Dogon AD. And when I heard that, this is before I started playing. I think I played it every day for about a year. And, uh, I didn't know who he was when I bought it, but I liked his name and I saw that (laughs) Philip Wilson was on it. And I remembered him from uh, Butterfield blues band. So I just said, I bought it and then I came home and then it, kind of answered a lot of questions. I mean, or maybe not questions, but it it had everything. You know, it was kind of like soul music, weird jazz. It had sort of all these things in one. And I thought, oh, wow, that's actually possible. And, uh, and so that, you know, when I found out he was in New York, in Brooklyn, uh, I got his number from Anthony Braxton, who I took a few lessons with. And, and then... Uh, How'd you meet that, him? Yeah, then the Julius thing started. How'd you meet Mr. Braxton? Okay. Um, when I was uh, 18, I had a choice. Like most people just kind of went to college without thinking about it. And I decided not to go to college. And my father said, okay, but you got to have a plan. And so I went out and got drunk with my friend Larry. I said, Larry, we got to come up with a plan. So the plan was I was going to work at this grocery store. I ran the dog food and cereal aisles. And uh, I earned enough money to go to Europe. So I told my dad I'm going to do this job. Then me and Larry are going to go to Europe. So I had never traveled. I didn't know shit. I was like, Europe? I didn't even know what I was talking about. But I knew that Braxton and all these guys from Chicago were living in Paris. So that was really my plan was to go over there and then find these guys and listen to them and, you know. And so we did that. My father actually went for it. And and uh, we went over there after we earned our money. And, and uh, I went to Paris and I met Braxton almost immediately. I went to this place called the American Center. And he was in there kind of practicing. And I started talking to him and, and he was super friendly. And he, he said, yeah, I'm moving back to New York. And uh, here's my address. And we kind of corresponded for a minute. And then uh, he agreed to give me lessons. I ended up in New York. 
and uh, a couple of years later, and uh, that's kind of how it started. And uh, he was cool. I walked in. He was staying at this composer's house, and there was a pile of dishes. It looked like the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Never see, I mean, it was amazing. It was like almost touching the ceiling. <laughs> and, and then, you know, we did our thing, and then he got busy, and he said, why don't you call Julius? And then I almost had a heart attack. I was like, I had no idea that Julius was in New York. So, um, yeah, so that's how it hooked up. Okay, what about that first meeting? Oh, it was great. It was classic. Um, so I called him up, you know, and he said, sure, I'll give you a lesson. And I went out to Brooklyn. I'd never been to Brooklyn. So that was like a completely foreign country. So I'm walking around Brooklyn and wondering if I'm going to die. <laughs> and then I go to his house and I knock on the door. And of course, he forgot completely. He showed up. I remember it was like nine in the morning and he showed up with this huge tall guy in his pajamas. And and, you know, he let me in. He sat down. And he said, so what do you want to know? And I said, I have no idea. I'm just a beginner. I just want to learn how to play. And he goes, well, I've been thinking a lot about magic lately. And that set the tone pretty much. You know, it was, we were kind of all over the place. But the one thing we the one thing he really emphasized was tone. And we would spend three hours. I mean, the lessons were endless. And then we'd go to juniors and eat cheesecake. I mean, it was amazing, and and he, um, we would just spend hours on long tones and stuff like that, and 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 then the other stuff was just like, you know, he'd say something, I'd ask a question, he'd pose a question, then I'd get completely confused, and then I'd work twice as hard because I was so confused, and uh, you know, and then we were hanging out all the time, and you know, I started helping him get gigs and helping him with his label, and it was kind of a a crash course and self um, production, all that stuff, you know, doing shit yourself, right. you know. And so it kind of laid out the whole thing for me, you know, in a way. You know, um, you're talking about tone with the sax. And uh, I heard in the older days, you used to cut your own reeds. No, no. <laughs> not you personally. That's a great story. There's no I'm, I'm not saying way. you personally, but I heard that John Coltrane would cut his so fucking thick. It's sort of like James Jamerson's uh, bass guitar with the action. It was like, you know, William Tell Overture bow. <laughs> you know, like really rough. Like uh, like you had to put a lot of muscle into it. And, and that was one of the things about getting a tone. You couldn't have it too easy. Yeah, yeah, I, that's totally true, and I've always been into resistance in every aspect of my life, but especially with the saxophone, you know, that thing of, you know, I like playing with loud drummers, I like playing without a microphone, and so I got used to that idea, you know, of projection and, and having to kind of generate it yourself, you know, from your diaphragm, and, and also having resistance so that when you're playing with drummers, you can push it. And, uh, you know, until very recently, I've, I've kind of, you know, been into that. And lately I've been trying to learn how to play with slightly less resistance, but, you know, I keep going back because I, you know, I don't know. There's something about that thing of having to feel physically like whatever volume you're getting or projection, you're getting it from your body, not from a microphone, you know, and, and, uh, it's probably pretty stupid, but it seems to work for me. Well, um, 
Well, kind of like if, if, if this is kind of an analogy, you know, dig it in, plant your feet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, you know, some dudes, I broke it up base or something I had to borrow someone else and they got fuck you couldn't get a piece of paper between the strings and the fret it's like well, you got to play this thing like you know just tippy tap yeah yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah so and it seems like the, the saxophone is such a translator of emotion if, if you're really bringing it from like you said uh the the, the chest and the yep, body yep. yeah such a so, uh, did you guys play gigs together? We did a couple of things together, but I, I kind of didn't. I was too scared, and he did a couple of gigs with me playing tenor. You know, he was an alto player mostly, but right. and it was fun. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to mess with it. I mean, um, I did make a record of his music at some point when he was alive, and I remember distinctly um, he said. Uh, he was going to come to the session, and I remember it really scared the fuck out of me, even though this was like years later. So I said, listen, man, I hope you don't mind, but do you mind not coming to the session? I think I'd be too intimidated. You know, I kind of want to just do my thing, and then I'll just bring it to you, and we'll, you know, and I'll uh, see what happens. And and luckily, he, he, he just laughed and said, no problem, you know, and, and uh, but, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I've never had that thing of wanting to play with my heroes because i kind of respect the fact that they're my you know i like to keep them that way and and i don't think i've you know i probably haven't earned that right and also i kind of like the idea of just playing with my peers and dealing with my own shit you know and not you know not cross those two things it's weird i mean you know but it's always exciting even when i just meet those guys like threadgill and and talk to him, I kind of feel like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm talking, you know, I'm in the same room talking to this guy, you know, and that's kind of enough for me in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just don't want to be a dick leech. Yeah. You want to be, and, and, and them too, they probably want you to be your own man. And so it is exactly. a trippy, yeah, it is a trippy kind of duality. Look, uh, Tim, we're at the end of the first hour, January okay. 29, 2021, Dishwap Pedro Show, special guest, Tim Byrne, hold tight for hour two. January 29, 2021, it's second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show.
Destiny calls the daily grind answers. It says it's anybody home, just the amputee dancers. We need some entertainment, send in the clowns. You up there. Come on down I believe I believe we've been misled Misled Well it's all just a misunderstanding No one's to blame See the nice man in the riot gear Just giving me name From all of us up here To all of you down below Happy President's Day And remember your answer is no Till the very last bulb dies. See 
against the foot of the bed, the belt, soft black leather, jerking dance with each strike, the bladder releases, piss shooting onto the bed, down the legs, the shame, blood bruises, afterwards the hate and fear of being touched. Thank you. 
Pedro show. We start off the second hour, me and Tim talking off air people about some uh, facts of life and shit. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, autonomy, an important concept. Well, not concept, but a, a way of life in a way. Uh, yeah, uh, temporary sanity. Hank Roberts, Tim Byrne. <laughs> <laughs> what what, what was that about, Tim? Oh, man. So Hank and I have known each other. We first time we met and played was 1977, Whoa. and uh, I don't know if you know about Hank at all, but but uh, he's from Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah, which is not pretty, but um, I think the Wabash. Yeah, there's some the deep shit going there, on yeah. there. But he uh, anyway, I met Hank back then, and and this we made this record I think in the 90s, as I recall, or it might have been the 80s, but I think it was the 90s, but um. Yeah, we just set up and, you know, we were talking about it. And then we went just went in this big room and just improvised, basically. But, um, yeah, I've been, I'm still playing with Hank from time to time. He's one of my, you know, one of my favorite people. That's bitchy. And uh, the temporary sanity part is, uh, I think, self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> then we had Sam Bennett in Tokyo doing, I believe, we're, we've been misled. Julius Hempfield with uh, Kansas City Line. Yes. Yeah, you flowed that to me. Uh, beautiful, so I, I wanted to play. Phil Venable with Pants, little poem. And then, what, what's this project here, Tim? Presence. Uh, presence. Presence. It's me, uh, Dave Horn, Craig Taborn, and Tom Rainey. Um, and uh, we started doing this out of early 2000s, maybe, or mid. And it's all improvised. And I don't know if you know David at all, but... Uh, there are a couple of things. There's a solo thing I gave you also. But David and I have been partners in, since the 90s. He pretty much mixes and produces almost everything I do. And he's also kind of a you know brilliant guitar player and film composer, lunatic. Um, we both did a lot of time in upstate New York. We bonded over that. And uh, oh, he's yeah, so the, present. He, he's from the same parts? Well, he's he lived in Ithaca for quite a long time. Okay, Cornell. He's a teenager. He's from Long Island, I think. I think he was a surfer dude at one point. <laughs> but uh, but he's a great. I mean, he's like I couldn't do half the shit I do if it wasn't for him. And uh, we both like noise, so works out pretty well. Um, you got but this, yeah, he, you, he started that project. Uh, oh, it was his go. Okay. Kind of. I mean, he used people that I'd been playing with and, you know, basically we improvise, but David kind of, does, when we make records and stuff, he mixes it and fucks around with it a little bit. You gave me some music here, some project called Big Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I want to play this. The, oh, good. Uh, so, it was something live, uh, the mini bar incident. Live, yes, exactly. That's with Mark Ducray on guitar and Tom Rainey.
These guys who are on Saturday Night Live refilling the, you know, so they don't have to spend like ten bucks. <laughs> mini, oh, yeah. mini bar people. That was uh, the mini bar incident from Big Satan. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, Sam Lockward after that Iowa City with all around the stars, <laughs> which is appropriate. And then finally another Big Satan tune, but I think this was in the studio. Uh, Rampe. Yeah, that's a Mark Ducray song. Okay, so Mark just, lived in Paris. So what what is the the big Satan about? Well, it's this Mark Ducray is another guy I've been playing with since '88. Amazing guitar player, great guy. We started, we had this trio, and we got a gig at some festival, and we were rehearsing. We still didn't have a name, and so the guy called Mark and said, "We have to have a band name. What are you going to call the band?" And we were in Paris. We were rehearsing for something, and and uh, there was a French newspaper, and the and the cover, the headline was Le Grand Satan, right? <laughs> so it was some Iranian shit where they were calling the U.S. the Big oh, Satan. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so I said, hey, let's call it Big Satan. And, uh, <laughs> and that was it. We told the guy. Okay. And, of course, it ended up plaguing us forever. Yeah, but yeah. but I li- I've always liked that name. And the first album has a fantastic, kind of the perfect photo, which I'll, I'll email it to you because I think you'll laugh. Okay. But um, but anyway, yeah, that's where that came from. <laughs> the big, and, and you guys still playing? Yeah, we did it. We actually did. We went to South America about a year and a half ago. But I mean, I've been playing with Mark. I still play with Mark a lot, what and you, uh, and Tom too. Rainy. Can I ask you opinion something? Uh, saxophone and guitar yes. and guitar with a fuzz box. It's the shit. It, 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 yeah, I think I think that's where it came from. I think that 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 kind of balls out tone on the sax is yeah. kind of what they were looking for when they put a guitar through a fuzz box. It's my favorite shit. I love playing with guitar players, especially noisy ones like Nels. When I first when I first met Nels, tell me we about were, that. Tell me about that. Oh man, so we're this is L.A. in the seventies, right? Late seventy eight. And I was playing with his brother, with Alex, because he had played with Julius, and I, he stayed in my loft in Brooklyn. And anyway, I met them, and so I did this gig, and I kept asking Nels. You know, I was friendly with Nels, and I said, "Hey, man, let's play." And Nels kept it, kind of putting me off. Finally, he said, "Man, I can't play that shit." You know, he's like, "I can't play that atonal shit, man." I don't, you know. And every time I saw him, I can't play that shit. And finally, one day, I just fucking made him play. 
And and we kind of hit it off, you know. But we were playing with this guy, Eric Von Essen and Nels. And, you know, they were both super tonal, kind of really melodic players. And I was kind of insane at the time. But I could sort of hang a little bit. And anyway, it was kind of funny. And then I made him play on a record in 81. And then we kind of didn't. Oh, then I played on, I think, one of his first records, maybe. The one with Stacy Rolls. Ah, uh, yeah, because he had a phase where he was with the New Wave band, right? He, yeah, yeah. Trippy-ass haircut, like, all long on one side. Oh, that's right. Yes, I remember they got a... It was classic. They got a record deal, and then they were making fucking... Their demos cost more than his house. And, and, and I said, why are you guys making a demo? Why don't you just make the record, you know? And he's like, I don't know, you know. So so anyway, they make this record. It finally comes out, major label, classic shit. And then two weeks later, it's out of print, and they've been dropped. Right. Like, they must have spent five years doing gigs, and it was just the classic shit. And I think, you know, that probably, you know. And then Nels just, you know, became, just did a million gigs until now he's, you know, doing really well. Right. But now, right. fantastic. We've always... We kind of reunited in the mid 2000s, started playing again, and uh, you know, kind of. I, I love. I mean, Nels is great. I mean, it, well, you know, he moved out there, and uh, you know, him and Alex, his twin brother, tried to get free music happening in SoCal for years, and people just wouldn't yeah. come. So he's yeah. in a situation now that wow. And then Mr. I, Tweedy, you know, uh, the Chicago uh, band, you know, uh, yeah. It kind of subsidizes all this freak out. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very grateful, Mr. Tweedy. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, that band was in like half the gigs were at the Club Lingerie. Yes, I remember the Club Lingerie. <laughs> oh, no, Sunset, yeah. And what was that Chinese restaurant? Oh, yeah, the Hong Kong Cafe. Yeah, or some, yeah, I remember playing there. Madame Wong. There was, for a while, there were some uh, punk gigs in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love those divey, shitty bar gigs. That's my favorite. Yeah. If yeah. I could do that and somehow make a living, that's all I would do is playing bars. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. very, it, somehow it makes, it takes the pressure off, you know? Right. You go in a big concert hall or you go into a arty place and it's quiet and it's like you're really aware that you're supposed to be an artist or something. Yeah, and for me. Part, it just feels like, oh, I'll have a drink. Oh, I think I'll play now, you know. People are talking. I kind of dig it. Yeah, those gigs are way pants shitters. Yeah, there's something about a club. Just What'd you call them, pants shitters? Yeah, those, like, recitals <laughs> where you're going to come out yeah. of the cake or some motherfucking... T and oh, I can't high stand stage it. And it's, oh, I hate it. Yeah. Look, yeah. we're at the end of the second hour. Right. January 29, 2021 edition. Wap Peter Show special guest... Tim Byrne, hold tight for hour three. January 29, 2021. It's the third hour of the Wap for Pedro Show.
ones in there because my, my wife worked for the record company. And we walk in, and the second she enters the room, she just starts dancing. And these drummers were kind of rehearsing a little. Or, and they kind of both stopped, and they just went. It's like a whirling dervish. It just entered the place. <laughs> and, uh, and the whole gig was like that, man. It was fantastic. Yeah, people were talking about uh, with this the start of the third hour with this tune, I Do It from Hard Cell. And Tim uh, did this for his niece and uh, from Ethiopia and uh, born dancer. So, uh, yeah, I brought her a gig and she got it going. She got it lit. <laughs> she actually got kicked out of a gig of mine that we did at this jazz club because she wouldn't stop dancing and the people were customers were complaining. And so my sister had to carry her out kind of sideways while we were playing. And I'll never forget it. She was like waving at me. You know, we're in the middle of this tune. She's saying goodbye and, you know, just like trying to dance. It was hilarious. Uptight pad. Fuck. I know. Really uptight. <laughs> Damn. And we had a uh, crane dirt and Jim set him up some live jam a few years ago. A Tallum and Alex Klein. You know, Alex, I think, lives in the Ma's ha the, the house they grew up in. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah, and he turned like one whole, like the drum set is so fucking big, right? It don't move. <laughs> it's got like 5,000 cymbals. I know, man. I remember that on the road. Oof. <laughs> he brought his trap case on our first tour, man, and it was like hundreds of pounds. <laughs> well, they say in the rear with lots of gear. <laughs> oh, man. I put my drummers up for, that was one fuck up minute man we should have had george hurley at the front of the stage i, I don't understand this about hiding the drummer in the back so i know stupid. it's actually fun playing behind the drummer too fuck yeah i love it the drum drums is the heart yeah. anyway uh then we had uh, uh tim bird and matt mitchell doing petulance matt mitchell <laughs> enlighten us tim oh uh matt i met him about 13 years ago and then Based on this first time we played together, I asked him to join a band that I hadn't formed yet with Chess. You know Chess, right? Chess Smith. Big drummer, right? Tall drummer. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great drummer. So man. Me, me and Matt and Chess and this guy Oscar Noriega. And we started this band. I call it Snake Oil. And uh, so, yeah, Matt's amazing. Great cat. He was working as a librarian when I met him. And uh, now, now he's... Uh, now he's not working as a librarian. <laughs> so it worked out well. Um, it you know, I, you gave me this tune, this project. It's called Science Fiction? Science Friction. Friction, that's right. What? Blind ass. Okay. <laughs> Enlighten us, Tim. Okay. Science Friction started early 2000s. I met Craig Taborn. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. I've heard, I don't know him personally, but I, I know of him. Amazing cat. So I was looking for, I just wanted, I, I don't know, I wanted to do an electric thing and I wanted, I wanted a keyboard player who could be a bass player and a guitar player without really being a keyboard player. And, and Craig is just amazing with electronics, especially back then he was doing a lot of weird analog shit. And, and then Mark Ducray plays guitar and Tom Rainey. And the idea, I don't know, it wasn't not really a high concept. I just, Wanted something electric and noisy, and and I got what I paid for. <laughs> it worked out well. 
Okay. And then the science fiction is just a little take on the Ornette science fiction. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, that's why I was thinking. Okay, jalapeno diplomacy. Let's listen. <laughs>
Thank you. 
last music for this edition, Science Friction with Jalapeno Diplomacy. Then uh, Thrust, well, it's Thrust Guitar Gestra. <laughs> with That's Once Upon good. a Time. Yeah, well, you know these prize names, but they get beyond <laughs> what sometimes. Once Upon a Time in the West, the main thing, Slosh Shred Blueprint Version. And then Aqua Shade with October uh, Roman numeral two. And uh, this has got the, the lady who's playing in a bikini kill uh, guitar now, Aqua Shade. And then finally, uh, Life uh, Peace, Loose Ends from uh, Blood Count. It likes Tim Blood Count. Oh, do you want you want some background on that? Well, until I learn how to read fucking minds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Blood Count. Let's see. That was early '90s, and I think I'd had another band going called Total Chaos, and that was starting to phase out. I think every once in a while, about every three or four years, my bands just kind of disintegrate. Usually, lack of work, or the other guys get successful and then they move on. And so I was getting ready to start another band. Wanted to find some young, impressionable youth. And I found a couple who were, um, you know, gave in to my charms. And uh, I got them to join this band, Blood Count. It was a drummer, Jim Black, sax player named Chris Speed. And then Michael Formanak, bass player from, also from, uh, kind of from the Bay Area. But, uh, but anyway, so I, I got this band together and this record, I started a label called Screwgun, and this was the first thing. It was a live recording, really pretty raw, you know, one microphone. But I, I was going through this phase where I wanted to only make shitty-sounding live recordings um, to protest my um, crazy experiences being on labels. And so uh, it kind of worked for a while. Um, you know, I just did everything mail order and... This was the first. This was a. Uh, I can't remember what's the name of the band. The oh yeah, the record was called Blood Count Unwound, and it was just this box, cardboard box. I filled it up with CDs, uh, and so that's what this is. So, so when you uh, like you, you tell me you put together these projects, just yeah. to, just to sh what like cut uh, reshuffle the deck. Well, I just find you know I'm always kind of like scouting you know i walk around i go around the gigs and then or i hear about somebody i'm usually looking for um weirdos you know people who either haven't really done shit yet have a lot of potential or um i don't know just people you know I have a conversation with somebody and go oh that person's kind of interesting and then they happen to play that's a bonus and then then i just get these personalities together and and uh I'm good. At, that's one the only thing I'm good at. I don't. I don't know if I play very well, but I know how to put people together. I have good instincts when it comes to just finding, you know, weird musicians and and so anyway that you know, I'll just go to these little dives in New York and hear people, and hopefully the people I like aren't well known, so they're be into rehearsing and you know starting something, and then you kind of do it until they get well-known and leave, <laughs> um, which is cool. I mean, I don't, actually don't mind that. I like I like the challenge of having to find new people and 
you know, at some point I realized there's so many fucking people out there. Sure, you know? sure. And, and, and it kind of redefines you each time you get into a new batch of personas. Yeah, I like it. You know, it's kind of, it's hard to change your music. I think it's easier to just change players and, and get different input, you know, and I like that, the, that being on the precipice of failure feeling, you know, and, and not knowing if something's going to work. I think it keeps me on my toes. Can I run something by you? Yep. It seemed Miles Davis kind of, right? Because some dudes, okay, I want to be the best guy in the band, so I'm going to always have lame guys around me. Yeah. Like, he was like, no, man, I'm never going to be as good as Diz, so why not get good cats around me? And yeah, every I, time he did, his music would change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got to be the worst guy in the band, or at least think you are. Um, <laughs> I you like know, that. I've, I've had no problem convincing myself. And, uh, you know, it's fun. I mean, it's fun to sort of see, I don't know, you just get complacent if it shit always works, you know. I've always had that fear that I'm going to be an old man and, and just be playing the same shit all over and over, you know. And, and uh, not that I've ever been successful at that, but, you know, it, I just like, yeah, you know, whenever I feel like I'm playing it safe, I'll just fuck it up and, you know, get some other people and see what happens. But it's not like I have enough. I mean, I'm not exactly in demand, so I have a lot of time to think about it. Well, you, okay, that's a good point because some guys, they chase the sideman thing, right? Yeah. And uh, you'd rather, I, I like what, you know, it's kind of what I try to do, you know, even though, yeah, it might be a smaller thing, but at least uh, it's not such a compromised thing. And, and, and But it is kind of compromised because when you play with your guys, it's kind of collaborate. Yeah, exactly. Tim, it's been a big honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Man, thank you. It's, uh, do you got a presence on the web? Do you have a website? Yeah, I have a... It's my Bandcamp page. It's just uh, screwgunrecords.bandcamp.com. Okay, people, go there. Check out Tim Byrne Music. I mean, I love it. I love what you're doing. I like, you know, a Buddha said, stop learning, stop living, you know? Yeah, exactly. The fucking world. Man, go ahead. Paul says, hey, by the way, he's going to be here in about an hour. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, I say, hey, not bad. <laughs> oh, wow, what a trip. Okay, yeah. thanks so much for being on the show, Tim. All right, man, Safe thank you. brother. Okay. Thank People, you. it's been a Watt Pedro show, January 29, 2021. Keep your powder dry.